Quit trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> On Fridays, we wear pink. I need a Bible and some whiskey. <laughs> hey, welcome to episode 17 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com to order your delicious pizza today. Greek's Pizzeria. It's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by... Blaine Zimmerman. And... Russ Slifka. Gentlemen, we are on episode 17 today on Andrew Johnson. Blaine, you pick our books and usually you pick the booze, but that was on me today. I'll explain Mm -hmm. that after you explain the biography on Andrew Johnson that we selected. So today we read Andrew Johnson biography. That's the name of it. (laughs) It's by Hans L. Trefus. T-R-E-F-O-U-S-S-E. Mm. I feel like he's got a Dutch first name and a French last name. Yeah, it's a real melting pot of a human. Hans El Trefou. Uh, this How long book was it? comes in at 379 pages. Mm. It was written in 1989, and today's episode is called The Impeached. Ooh, I like that. That's fun. He was the first United States president to be impeached by the House and on trial in the Senate, which we're going to dive into a lot later. More than once. He was impeached at least three times. Mm, You didn't know that? Drama ensues. He got impeached twice. I think they put it up again a third time, and they were like, never mind, he's going to go away. (laughs) That was the voice of the Congress, collectively. (laughs) We also drink a cocktail in honor of the president that we're covering. In today's episode, uh, (laughs) we're, we're drinking George Dickel. Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, the Superior 12 recipe. As Merle Haggard once said, water's for teardrops, dickles for drinking. Oh my. (laughs) Cheers, boys. And wherever you are, cheers. Salute. Oh, that's smooth. That dickle is smooth. Hey, what do you guys remember about Andrew Johnson from social studies back in the day? I don't, I can't say that I remember anything. I think that, I guess I would have known that he took over once Lincoln was assassinated. Yeah. If that, I mean, that's barely what I remember too. I mean, like before this whole thing, like gun to head, if somebody was like, who took over? I would have been like, Andrew Jackson. It doesn't fall short on me that you use the term gun to head after you just spoke about Abraham Lincoln. Never thought about the scenario where like aliens come and they're like, if you don't get this one trivia question right, the whole world ends. Uh, He was impeached. Yes. You you knew that? Yeah. 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 Actually, if you would have asked me, I think I would have said he was a traitor. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll like get into he was that. Like a trader, like a day trader? Yeah, like a day trader. <laughs> Baseball cards? <laughs> yeah. Wall Street. Stamps? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's dive into the early life of Andrew Johnson. On December 29th, 1808, shortly after James Madison was elected fourth president of the United States, future 17th president Andrew Johnson was born in a two-room shack in Raleigh, North Carolina, to Jacob Johnson and Mary, or Polly, McDonough. He was of English and Scotch-Irish ancestry and had an older brother, William, and an older sister, Elizabeth, who died in childhood. Allegedly. There were rumors as a child that he was illegitimate. That's right. Yeah. There were, because he did not necessarily look like his other siblings. Yeah. yeah, or his parents. But he did look like Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> Who was just a random blacksmith at that yeah. point down the lane. Oh, Tom Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. If I you have not a real seen... Two-Face. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for that. Great job. <laughs> That's what Tommy Lee Jones is known for, yeah. right? Just well, that movie? Among other things. 
Yeah, try to name two other uh, Tommy Lee Jones movies. No. <laughs> Russ, if anyone could, it'd yeah. be you. Under Siege, okay. The Fugitive. That's oh. one movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Under Siege, colon, <laughs> The Fugitive. <laughs> Under Siege 2, The Fugitive. <laughs> Well, his dad, Jacob, was an illiterate and poor man, as had been his father, William, and he served as a porter in a local inn, a sexton in the Presbyterian Church, and as town constable. When Andrew was only three years old, Jacob rescued two drowning fishermen and died of a heart attack several weeks later while he was ringing the town bell for a funeral, (laughs) leaving his family in poverty. Blaine, that's very insensitive (laughs) of you to laugh. (laughs) So, did he... Like, die of overexertion? Did he hit his head on the bell? Did he fall off the tower? <laughs> like, I don't remember that part. I didn't write it down. I hope he had a hunchback. <laughs> uh, I think he just was overexerting himself. I think. Huh. So, Andrew Johnson grew up with one parent then? Yes. Very similar to Bastion in The NeverEnding Story. Which I've never seen because it just looked like a really boring movie when it came out. Bastion's mom died as a child, so. Oh, man. We were texting about that earlier this week, about never-ending story and labyrinth. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and Russ and I were on the camp of never-ending story looks really bad. And you are... you are No, no. Russ hates it. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay. I've actually never seen it. It just looks bad. I disagree. What's the name of the beast that the, the, the writing on? Is it Falcor. Falcor. That sounds like a company that sells like... You can ride Falcor. There's an amusement park in Germany. <sighs> wow. Mm-hmm. Ooh, come, come, children, ride our yeah, car. Ride this giant flying dog. <laughs> is he a dog? Yeah, yeah. mostly. Okay. Well, uh, Andrew's mom, Polly, is now a widow, and she becomes the sole supporter of her family. She was a washerwoman, and that was looked down upon because it often took her into other homes unaccompanied. And since Andrew didn't resemble either of his siblings, like you said, Blaine, there were some rumors that he might have been fathered by another man. She eventually remarried to a man named Turner Daughtry, who was as poor as she was. Polly apprenticed her young son. He's a singer. <laughs> he was. Name the Daughtry song. Name two Daughtry songs. I, what? Russ, name two Daughtry American songs. American Idol. Was that one of his songs? He was. <laughs> that's the name of his hit single. Yeah. Can you name a Daughtry song? I no. was the American Idol. That one. Is that I him? I think he. He kind of looks like Russ. Ugh. Oh, a little bit. I could see that. <laughs> I was confused for him in a furniture store once. <laughs> and hold on, hold on. And when I said, I'm obviously not him because I'm shocked. And they were like, that's exactly myself. what Daughtry would say. Yeah. And then he still wanted my autograph. <laughs> so I gave him an autograph. Did you sign it Russ or Daughtry? I don't remember. Probably Daughtry. Oh, that's so great. So, Can you name two Daughtry's? I think he wrote a song called Home. I might be thinking of uh, oh. another American Idol guy. He's not the guy that wrote that weird National Guard song, is he? Citizen Soldier or whatever. Mm. I, I don't know about that. It's that sounds awful. like a country song. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Okay, so his mom is now a widow, and she's got to raise these kids by herself. And so this was a common practice at the time. She apprentices her two young sons to a tailor in town named James Selby. So Andrew was 14 at this time, and he was legally bound to serve Selby until he turned 21. So Johnson also did how he became a spy. Who? Andrew Johnson. <laughs> he became a spy? Yeah, he would take their measurements. Oh, Hercules oh. Mulligan. <laughs> drink. Oh, drink. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> gotcha. Blah, blah. He never went to school as a kid, uh, and his basic education largely came from the local citizens who would come into Selby's shop to read to the tailors as they worked. 
This caused a lifelong love of learning in Andrew, who learned the art of public speaking as he threaded needles and cut cloth at a young age. But he got pretty unhappy, and after about three years, both he and his brother ran away, and Selby posted a $10 reward for their return. Uh, kind of. So, I, I don't know if I would put it as a reward, because he ran away because a woman sued him for $10. So the, there was essentially a bounty on his head, Ooh. not a reward. Well, I guess that's a reward, right? Yeah. yeah. So Boba's out to get him. He tries to negotiate the bounty, and it doesn't work. So he's like, I guess I live in Tennessee now. Whoopsies. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so they went to uh, Carthage, North Carolina, where he worked as a tailor for several months. But he was afraid and fled then again to Lawrence, South Carolina, named after John Lawrence. Mm-hmm. That's another Hamilton mm-hmm. reference. Ooh, I made one. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. He met his first love, Mary Wood, and made her a quilt as a gift. Mary, however, rejected his marriage. Would not accept it. (laughs) Yes, no, or maybe. No. She rejected young Andrew's marriage proposal, and he returned to Raleigh, hoping to buy out his apprenticeship, but he could not come to terms with Selby. So instead, he decided to move west to Tennessee, like you said, Blaine, leading a blind pony that pulled a small wagon to work in the tailor's trade. <laughs> the blind little pony. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the pony's name was? Uh, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> come on, Stevie. Amazing drummer, by the way. Oh, People Wonder. don't know that. Yeah. yeah, little Stevie Wonder. So he's 17 now, and he opens up his own successful tailor shop in Greenville, Tennessee. He hired a local man to read to him as he sewed, and he took in an increasing interest in the Constitution and other famous orators. Two months after he opened his tailor shop, Andrew married Eliza McCardle, the well-educated daughter of a local shoemaker. Do you remember who married them? Yes, I do, Blaine. As a matter of fact, would you like to share it, or would you like me to share it? Russ, get ready for this. I'll do the first name. You do the second name. All right, go for for it. Like suspense. Yep. His name was Mordecai Lincoln, and he was Abraham's cousin. That's right. That's right. Justice of the peace. Mordecai Lincoln, first cousin of Thomas Lincoln, whose son would one day precede Andrew in the White House. It's kind of cool. And they actually became good friends. Eliza taught her husband to read and write more fluently. And who's they? uh, Mordecai and Andrew. Oh, okay. Uh, She would also not Abe. No, no, no. (laughs) It's like, who's this guy? She would often read to him as he worked, and they eventually would have two daughters and three sons over the next 24 years, and they would be married for almost five decades. Johnson's lack of formal schooling and his homespun quality helped him build a political base of poor people seeking a fuller voice in government. His shop in Greenville became a hub for political discussion with Johnson as the leader. He had become a skillful orator in an era when public speaking and debate was a very powerful political tool. And at age 22, he was elected the mayor of Greenville, Tennessee. Yeah, you could even say he was a master debater. Um, I have a note that it was relatively alarming how far you could make it back then it just if you were good at speaking yeah like he couldn't read he had no education but i mean he, he could put yeah. butts in the seats yeah he can sew a good needed. sew a good coat uh-huh and he could oh, yeah. and he could speak get spies from lot like information from the british government I, I think you're thinking of about a hundred years prior oh yeah they didn't still do that no they didn't do that I bet they did. Well, he was elected mayor of Greenville in 1834 and also joined the Tennessee militia as a member of the 90th Regiment, attaining the rank of colonel. Huh. Uh Mm-hmm. It seems like everybody was a colonel. Like, bypass all How many people have we read about that they were like, yeah, he had commissioned and three months later was a colonel. Suddenly, I'm a brigadier general. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) 
let me see if I can do this all the way up to colonel. So in the oh. army, it's different. So you're second lieutenant, first mm-hmm. lieutenant. This is where you're going to get screwed up because uh, you're a Navy guy. Captain. Uh-huh. Major. Uh-huh. Lieutenant colonel. Oh, you got it. Colonel. Uh-huh. And then the. Be my little general. Brigadier, major. Lieutenant. Lieutenant and general. Yeah. Be my little general. I've never heard that acronym. Thank you, Blaine. Yeah, obviously I haven't had to study for army tests. <laughs> obviously have not. Nope. I've restrung my guitar several times, though. <laughs> What's the word for that? For those numbers, uh, letters? Well, the strings are E-A-D-G-B-E. Mm. There's different acronyms in music that we could go we'll into. We'll do it. We'll just keep talking about Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson wins election to the Tennessee House of Representatives and serves two terms there from 1835 to 41. During this time, he emerged as a spokesman for mountaineers and small farmers against Against the interests of land classes. He like was also like very pro-white mm-hmm. and very pro-slavery and was against the federal or state governments imposing laws to legislate, quote, property. Yes, that's right. He sided a lot with President Andrew Jackson, a fellow Tennessean and Democrat. After the Whigs defeated Johnson for re-election in 1837, Johnson would not lose another race for 30 years. In 1839, he sought to regain his seat initially as a Whig, but when another candidate sought the Whig nomination, he ran as a Democrat and got elected. From that time, he became a strong advocate in the Democratic Party, noted for his oratory. People flocked to hear him. In 1840, he was selected as a presidential elector for Tennessee, giving him more statewide publicity. And although Democratic President Martin Van Buren was defeated by William Henry Harrison, Johnson was instrumental in keeping Tennessee in the Democratic column during that election. His uh, his people running against him, his opponents, if you will. I will. Um, we're always trying to like take jabs and stuff, so they just constantly claimed his father and all of his ancestors were murderers <laughs> and also his father was a chicken stealer oh my yeah wow <clears throat> i guess that's a that's a big crime back in the day i, mean, I well yeah. yeah i mean that's a way of life that's somebody's food your dad's a chicken stealer yeah <laughs> nobody son calls, of a chicken stealer nobody calls me chickens Oh, my gosh. Well, he's elected to the Tennessee Senate in 1841. He serves a little bit there. He sells his tailoring shop to concentrate on politics. And from 1843 to 53, he was a U.S. representative. With Eliza remaining in Greenville, Congressman Johnson shunned social functions in favor of studying in the Library of Congress. And uh, although a fellow Tennessee Democrat, James Polk, was elected president in 1844, Uh, He and the new president had difficult relationships, and President Polk refused some of his patronage suggestions. So, Well, he was super stubborn, like set in his ways about what he believed in policy-wise and Mm -hmm. things like that. And he always thought that government shouldn't intervene and that, that, you know, the politics should be run by the common people. Yeah. Kind of like how in the never-ending story, the storyline is set by the reader, Bastion. uh, So he gets to decide the fate of the people. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure with a flying dog. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right. I like Princess Bride from that era. He has to, like, name the princess, right? And then he has to say the name, but he's not sure of himself. Mm. So this is essentially what Andrew Jackson's yeah. calling for, or Andrew Johnson's calling for, is, is common people, you know, naming the government. But the people maybe aren't quite sure of themselves enough. Wow. So. You are really threading that well together. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
From 1853 to 57, he serves as governor of Tennessee, and then he's elected in 57 to be a U.S. senator representing the, what is Tennessee, the what state? Volunteer. Volunteer Mm -hmm. state. During his time in the Senate, he supported the Fugitive Slave Act and continued to advocate for a territory's right to decide whether slavery was allowed. All right, so the states start to secede in 1861, and he's the only Southern senator who did not agree with secession, and he retains his seat, and Southerners then view him as a total traitor as he remained loyal to Lincoln, even as his home state of Tennessee joined the Confederacy. Ironically, though, Johnson saw both secessionists and anti-enslavement activists as enemies to the Union. We skipped ahead really quickly there. Well, then fill the gaps. a bunch of fun facts there. Go for it. Uh... <laughs> So he hated the Smithsonian. Oh, that's right. Hated. I forgot about like, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, he's like, nope, we don't need this. Yeah. Uh, Quincy was an idiot. Like, museums are dumb. Uh, Take do that plane down. Like, oh, it's, I mean, What's there's a- there's words in front of that plane. I can't see it anymore. I can't read those words. What's a plane? Like, yeah. Why do we even have the Air and Space Museum? It's just empty at this point. It really was just an Air and Space Museum at the time. Um, What's space again? So he became Mason in 1851. Uh-huh. The Whigs gerrymandered a district in Tennessee mm. uh, for Congress, and that's, I think, the only thing they ever did. Like... <laughs> Politically, like, if they you got, remember, they like Taylor they were, to become president. Well, yeah, but they were yeah. like nest- notoriously awful about creating policy, yeah. finding out if their presidential candidate was in their party. Selecting um, yeah. uh, So <clears throat> the Whigs put Gustav Gustavus G U S T A V A S Gustavus Gustavus uh-huh. Henry against him in the race for governor, and that basically because of that gerrymandered district. Yeah, caught, like it screwed everything up. Oh, but he ended up winning because of his his oratory skills. Correct. Ahead. Yeah, he could just stump with the best of them. Producer Russ, could you look up the derivation, the etymology of gerrymandering? We did please? this in episode. Yeah. What episode was it? Before now, there was something like Eldridge, a sa- Eldridge Gary. Yeah, yeah, and Gary. there was like was a, in, like Massachusetts, and it was the shape of a salamander, and then they mm-hmm. called it a gerrymander. Gerrymander. Okay. Yeah. So on his way back from Washington, uh-huh. 1857, he's yep. heading back to Tennessee. His carriage wrecks, goes 60 feet down an embankment, Mm. like people died. He only broke his arm. And I would imagine that like as he was trying to get his horse out of the mud, it was a lot like a Treyu trying to get (laughs) the horse out of the mud in the never ending story. Just this super sad part. It's the part Russ cries at every time. It's a Uh, real depressing movie. (laughs) I don't want to see this movie at all. No, (laughs) no. If you're listening and you love the never-ending story, please let us this know. This is your episode. Let Blaine know. This is your Watch episode. <laughs> uh, once I found out Russ hated it, I went back and found all the places in my notes I could put it in. Yes. Um, and I could just see how much Russ hates this right now, and it's great. The the <laughs> the band or duo or artist that wrote the never-ending story, mm-hmm. they have an interesting name, don't they? What is the name of that band? It's the theme song's called the Never Ending Story. Theme I think it song. starts with a T. Uh, Someone uh, is yelling it out in their car. Toto. Right now. No, it's not Toto. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I did want to point out when yeah. he was governor is that like his biggest like success as governor was he strongly, vastly improved Tennessee's educational system. Yeah, which, which is, is saying a lot for somebody who never went through an educational system nor correct. could read. Yeah, he, he eventually was, could learn how to read. But you're right, like growing up dirt poor. I mean, besides maybe Andrew Jackson, I, I think he's probably the the one president who grew up the most in just absolute squalor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, dirt no, poor. No, no. Uh, 
there were plenty after him. Okay, all right. Yeah. But I'm saying up to that point. Hoover. Oh, yeah, yeah right, Hoover, in uh, Iowa. Super poor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he also like went to work on the Homestead Act, uh, and his argument was essentially that you know, Rome fell because they eliminated the middle class. Hmm. And I wrote that down just because you hear a lot of people talking about the middle class now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's cyclical. Uh, Open up the Homestead Act a little bit. What was that all about? Oh, I don't remember. Okay, so I mean, you're right though. From <laughs> from the get go, I mean, he starts introducing this. I mean, as soon as he possibly can. I know they eventually passed it, and Buchanan vetoed it. But yeah, it's in that dark era. Of I think it was in like that's like a lot of that nitty gritty. It was. Eh. Yeah, I think around like 1860, there was a second Homestead Act that I think he was advocating for. I want to say, but basically, there's federal land out in the far west that he is wanting to allow people to apply to make better. So basically, hey, you get 160, I think, acres. Oh yeah. Where if you apply and you make the land better over you know five years, it's yours. And so he was really all about like bettering the country expanding that country and giving the common man a chance <laughs> and their definition of make it better was make the indians go away <laughs> that's right send them what <laughs> never ending story lamal l-i-m-a-a ah see i don't i don't think that so. guy looks like he was in the never ending story russ j- look it up again on like spotify because i think it's a long name you know what i've got a laptop okay well so this uh any other fun facts in that season where he's uh governor uh, and post-governor? Well, I mean, going up to where we're at now, yeah. there's a whole section where, like, the pro-secession Tennessee Democrats, like, went mean girl on him. They did. And they Yeah, they were like, we did not want you to go to the Senate, but the people sent you. Mm-hmm. Then some of us wanted a distinguished man to be president and commit our delegates in favor of him. But instead, they expressed a wish that you should have the nomination. So they were basically like, oh. look, like, None of us wanted you here. Yeah. Like, the people did. Mm. And clearly they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, they were, quit quit trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> On Fridays we wear pink. <laughs> <laughs> quit trying to make fetch happen. So it's now uh, early 1860s. Uh, in 1862, Abraham Lincoln makes Johnson the military governor of Tennessee, and he was quickly confirmed in the Senate with the rank of brigadier general. So in response, the Confederates take his land. Uh, he was also a slave owner at this time. I think he owned about nine slaves. Um, and he turns they turn his home into a military hospital. But as military governor, he sought to eliminate the rebel influence in the state of Tennessee. And he would demand loyalty oaths from public officials. And he shut down all newspapers owned by Confederate sympathizers. And he undertook the defense of Nashville as best as he could, though the city was continually harassed by raids by the Confederates. Yeah, Nashville went down quick. Yeah, really did. Yeah. Uh, like they hard, I mean, for, you know, it's city founded by the French. Not surprising. <laughs> Hans, <laughs> Hans El Trevoux. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, I think that was kind of what caught Lincoln's eye, right? Was that he like was basically flipping the bird to all the people that yeah. were, were secessionists that wanted Tennessee to secede. Yeah, he certainly wasn't the only, it was called a Southern Unionist, but he was the most prominent yeah. uh, in that Like he time. was like, look, still hate black people. I just don't think this country should fall apart. Right. I just don't want to rip this country yeah. apart. Yeah. And everybody turned their back on him because they thought they were turning, he was turning his back on them. So he frees his slaves on August 8th, 1863. All of his slaves choose to remain with him afterwards as paid servants. A year later... 
all of Tennessee's slaves were freed, and as a sign of appreciation, he was given a watch by the newly emancipated slaves inscribed with, quote, for his untiring energy in the cause of freedom. At one point, his family had to go into exile. Well, have yeah. You- so when he basically chose to stand against secession, the other Confederates in his state basically kicked his wife and, and uh, I think his daughters. I think his sons might have been moved on by that they point. They kicked her? They didn't kick her out, but they moved them out. They they highly encouraged them. And to they leave. went into hiding. Yeah. Similar to how at the beginning of the Neverending Story, Bastion has to go into hiding from the bullies in the bookstore. Wow. He's right. <laughs> I'm just going to drink some of this delicious George Dickel Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey and pretend you didn't say that, Blaine. <laughs> There's, I guarantee we have fans that are like, yeah, screw Russ. Get as many never-ending story references as you can. 100%. <laughs> we barely even talked about this one last week. And I don't think we're... Right? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, we didn't talk much about it. Because we were talking about uh, the, the our yeah. superhero from yeah. Maine. <clears throat> Hannibal Hamlin. Yeah. I could have spoke about him in the legacy section, but I yeah. just... We didn't do it, apparently. Old Hannibal. Yeah. So Lincoln chooses uh, Johnson as his vice president in his run for re-election in 1864. But aside from sharing the ticket, the two didn't really have much in common politically whatsoever. And that brings us to the evening of March 3rd, 1864. Do you have anything to add before we dive into this uh, amazing drunken story? No, I think it's time to take a break before we jump into it. (laughs) All right, great. Let's take a break and hear from one of our fantastic sponsors. You're listening to episode 17, The Impeached of the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Never ending story. (laughs) Welcome back. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed that break. So it's March 3rd, 1864, and Andrew Johnson attends a party in his honor in which he drank heavily. (laughs) The next morning, Andy J is hung over, and uh, he asks Vice President Hannibal Hamlin for some whiskey. Okay, so this is the eve of the inauguration, and then the morning of the inauguration, he's hung over. So Hannibal Hamlin, one of the best names in vice presidential history, gives him... stand-up guy. He really was from Maine, right? Main. Yeah, man, we heard about him. My main guy. (laughs) Do you have any never-ending story references for (laughs) Hannibal Hamlin? Gosh, this story actually takes place in Canada. Hmm, It's funny you mentioned that. His middle name was Falcor. (laughs) So he takes two stiff drinks, stating, quote, I need all the strength for the occasion I can have. Little hair of the dog. Mm, Yeah. In the Senate chamber. It's like a real airport move. Airport. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. You're going through the airport and you booze. Yeah. Airport drinking is Gandhi. Thanks for explaining that. <laughs> You're welcome. It can be. It can be a good time. So he's in the Senate chamber and Johnson delivers a rambling, belligerent address. He's not a happy drunk. He's a, he's a mean drunk. <laughs> South Pole elf. <laughs> Call me elf one more time. 
he delivers this address as President Lincoln. The Congress and dignitaries looked on. His family, I think, was also there. He called out cabinet members by name and demanded that they never forget that the power comes from the people. (laughs) And as he worked his way through the cabinet, he forgot a name. He called out in a stage whisper. So a whisper loud enough for everyone to hear. He forgot the name of the Secretary of the Navy. He's like... What's that guy's name over there? Hey. Give me some boats. What's your name? You. Take that stupid life ring off. What's what's your name? Old Ironsides, my ass. And the power comes from the people. <laughs> well, he finally comes to a halt when Han- when Hannibal Hamlin has to tug his coattails to tell him, hey, bro, you're done. Wrap it up. Get the hook. And then Hannibal looks at Abe Lincoln. He's like, this is who you're replacing me with? Good call, Abe. Great great job. Good job. Yeah, no, I'm going to go back to Maine and eat lobster. So finally he stops. He gets sworn in. And uh, his rambling slurred diatribe eventually ends after he dramatically waves the the Bible in the air. And and he he kisses it. (laughs) I kiss the Bible. Senator Benjamin Butler of Massachusetts said that Johnson slobbered the holy book with a drunken kiss. <laughs> there was still one thing that he had to do, though. So, so you're saying it went well. <laughs> it's his job to now swear in new senators as president of the Senate. But he's so hammered <laughs> that a clerk... Basically, he's like, you know what? I'll do it. <laughs> and he's he's escorted out. And then Lincoln. Lincoln then goes out and delivers like the address of his lifetime besides the Gettysburg Address. I mean, mm-hmm. he's it's like inscribed on the Lincoln Memorial. But 20 minutes prior, Andrew Johnson is hammer drunk. Lincoln stands up and he's like, huh, tough act to follow. Does the collar thing with his finger. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, Lincoln actually had to address Johnson's behavior later. And he said, he said, why? Quote, I have known Andy Johnson for many years. Actually, Lincoln's voice would be higher. I have known Andy Johnson for many years. He made a bad slip the other day. But you need not be scared. Andy ain't a drunkard. (laughs) (laughs) Bang. They're like, okay, sure. All right, cool, man. Yeah, I believe you. Oh, man. It was 9 a.m. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Can you imagine him just sitting there, like, offering color commentary of the inauguration, just hammered? Just like, "Mm." I just imagine as they're getting to him, he's just sitting in his sweet seat swaying, like, "Mm, I'm talking about me. Nice day. What are you here for? <laughs> I'm the guy talking. Yeah. Tall guy. He's really tall. I'm going to yell at everybody. Great beard, Abe. I'm going to tell all these people what I think. <laughs> well, a couple months pass, and uh, as we talked about in last episode, April 14th, 1865 comes around. And Lincoln and Johnson met for the first time since the inauguration. So they hadn't really seen each other for a couple months. So while he was campaigning as a VP, though, uh, speaking of his Bible kissing, mm-hmm. uh, he compared himself to Moses. Oh, yeah. Not just Moses, but later when he was president. Jesus Christ Jesus himself. Christ. Yeah. Wow. This is a lot of uh, his. It's actual. The, the, the Jesus reference was like wild, wild, wild. He was he said this is when he's president, right? Yeah, he yeah. was. But he said uh, he explained that like the savior, he too liked to pardon repentant sinners because he was speaking about uh, former what, Confederates. Yeah, former yeah. Confederates. Yeah, oh, gosh, um, like the Savior. 
Andy, just stop there. Yeah. Abort. He's drinking again. Pull the chute. It's fine. He's drinking. You're he pulling a real that. March 4th. <clears throat> so, uh, he meant Moses. Yeah, Moses. <laughs> Good night. So there was a plot to kill Johnson as well the night of April 14th, 1865. We talked about that a little bit yeah. in the last episode. If you want to go into that, feel free. Lincoln um, Johnson, Seward, Grant. They yep. were all on the hit list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seward was actually stabbed, I mean, within an inch of his life. I mean, he, gosh, he was he was shaken up badly. Well, he's awakened by a fellow boarder that he was staying in the same hotel with, with news of Lincoln's shooting, and he rushes to the president's deathbed where he remained a short time on his return, promising, quote, they shall suffer for this, they shall suffer for this. Lincoln dies at 722 the next morning, and Johnson's swearing in occurred between 10 and 11 a.m. with Chief Justice Salmon Chase presiding in the presence of most of the cabinet. His demeanor at that ceremony was described by reporters as solemn and dignified. Good thing. At noon, he conducts his first cabinet meeting in the Treasury Secretary's office and asks all members to remain in their positions. The last time they had seen him was actually when he was hammered at the inauguration. So you got to imagine, you're reeling from this. They're probably like, what is this guy going to do? Gosh, yes. Oh, my goodness. He also kept, uh, questionably, all of Lincoln's bodyguards. Yeah. Which I feel like probably should have been fired. Yeah, wasn't there one that went to the bar? <laughs> if there's a fireable offense, it's yeah. the guy you're guarding getting shot in Gets the head. killed on your watch. Yeah. Eesh. He places a $100,000 bounty equivalent to $1.5 million today on Confederate President Jefferson Davis, then a fugitive, which gave Johnson the reputation of a man who would be tough on the South. But more controversially at the time, he permitted the execution of Mary Surratt, for her part in Lincoln's assassination, she was hanged with three others, including Johnson's would-be assassin, George Adserat, on July 7th, 1865. So he's almost killed by this guy, but he didn't get the nerve up to do it, and he leaves, and then Johnson actually signs his death certificate. Or, I mean, and what was the... I, I remember vaguely the yeah. woman, like the controversy around them hanging one, because it was the first woman that the federal government executed, Correct. right? But there was, like, no real clear evidence that she was involved, right? I think she ran maybe a boarding house or some sort of, like, restaurant, like, saloon kind of thing where there was a lot of the conspiracy that was going on. And I think she she was aware of it. Didn't really do anything to stop it. So, following the assassination of President Lincoln, Johnson was happy to leave the southern states to themselves and hash out the details of Reconstruction while Congress was conveniently out of session. So, as a result, freed slaves were basically turned into a permanent underclass with these black Codes that came into effect. In 1866, Johnson went on a speaking tour from Washington to Pittsburgh to garner support for his view of Reconstruction. So crowds initially greet Johnson uh, with booze in Cleveland and in Bloomington, Illinois, and he was practically drowned out with a chorus of jeers. They hang him in effigy. Uh, they're calling for Ulysses S. Grant, and so pulling away, he is basically ashamed at the welcome that he got on this tour. So already things are bad for him as president. I think around this time, maybe we want to talk about his vice president. Oh, yeah. yeah let's let's bring in producer <clears throat> Russ and vice presidential extraordinaire, Russ Slifka. Russ, take it away. Tell us about Andrew Johnson's vice president. Ryan, Andrew Johnson did not have a vice president. <gasps> Clutch your pearls. Yeah. Wow. Kind of taking that role is the pro temp of the Senate, mm-hmm. who was Benjamin Franklin Bluff Wade. Benjamin That's Wade. That's a long name. What's the bluff? I couldn't figure it out. Huh. It's a family name. It's like yeah. a card, second middle card name. Shark. Yeah, I mean, so it's either took everybody's money playing authors cards. <laughs> ben Wade. Ben Wade. Benjamin right. Franklin Wade. Tell us yeah. about 
Was who was he named after? I don't know. Hmm. That's weird. He was a senator from Ohio, initially a Whig, and then became the most extreme radical Republican. Electric, even. (laughs) Electric, even. (laughs) He was the key to the whole thing. (laughs) Sorry. No. I appreciate how much you're derailing this. (laughs) No, this is great. Yeah. So he was, like I said, a radical Republican. He was all for women's suffrage, trade unions, equality for newly freed slaves, Wage equality. So he could see near and far. Near and far. (laughs) Stop. Stop. (laughs) The worst. Uh, Also very critical of capitalism. Hmm. Yeah. He argued that an economic system which degrades the poor man and elevates the rich, which makes the rich richer Mm -hmm. and the poor poorer, and which drags the very soul out of a poor man for a pitiful existence, is wrong. (sighs) There's a quote. Yeah. So he was on the... Okay. Yeah, he was on that end of it. I mean, he was basically was he on the from, extreme end of everything. Vermont? Ohio. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, senator from Ohio. What did he look like at the inauguration? <laughs> was he wearing gloves? With yeah, his was legs he sitting crossed? cross-legged? <laughs> kind of crotchety. Yeah. In like a Patagonia jacket. Balding? <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, he was a Bernie. There he was a is. real Bernie. There it is. Yeah. I mean, he was... Are we sure that this guy isn't Bernie? <laughs> no, mm. It's close. He was very well, young. I mean, they're about the same age. They could be descendants or cousins. Like well, he was, cousins. Like, he was like 19 at the time. And now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he grew up loving this guy. Yeah, yeah. He didn't even like Lincoln. Like, he, mm. he thought Lincoln was too conservative. Okay. Yeah, mm. I mean, he... He said he had too much of the milk of human kindness. Like, <laughs> like that's a bad thing. Apparently, it's a bad for him. It's a bad thing. Like, oh my! Yeah, uh, I want you to be meaner. Well, it's a it's, terrible thing to say for a guy whose mom died from drinking infected milk. Oh, <laughs> you're right. It's probably on purpose, though. Yeah. yeah, it was a real dig on Lincoln. <laughs> One of the many. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, he had a. Go ahead, he had Ross. a lot more once the impeachment started. Yeah. So, because uh, in the line of secession, if there is no vice president, then the Senate pro temp becomes the designated the, survivor. The yeah, the keeper Sutherland. Keeper Sutherland the, becomes yeah. the president. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's in the Constitution. <laughs> so James Madison, like, how do you spell Sutherland? <laughs> Shut up, James. So, he didn't like Lincoln, but he really didn't like Andrew Johnson. Mm. I mean, especially... Shocking, right? Gosh. But he did love being in the Senate, and the odds were he wasn't going to be reelected. So, his only way to really stay in the Senate at all was to, once Andrew Johnson was impeached, he became president, and he wanted to be president not necessarily to be president but when the next president was elected okay maybe that guy would bring him on as vice president so he can continue to be the president of the senate so he huh. actually wanted to be so he's VP. the like first person to ever, <laughs> well no second to, uh poll tyler tyler tyler, tyler. tyler was right. like yeah, i'll do it totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. What, what did he say yeah. can you name the only other President pro temp of the Senate that became president. Or actually, I guess I should say the only president pro temp. Hmm. There was one. Harry Truman? Nope. Mm. Lyndon Johnson. Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. That's closer. Because Agnew got before Nixon did. Russ, do you have anything else about Benjamin Franklin Bluff, whatever his last name was? (laughs) Farmer's Almanac. Yeah, I... 
<laughs> I didn't have a good way to tie that in, so yeah. I just said it. Yeah. I was on there. Got this it. has been electric. Key on a kite. <laughs> oh, I started with electric. You can't take that. Oh, yeah, that was good. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, he wanted Johnson to be kicked out, to be impeached. Yeah. And one of the major reasons that he wasn't is because if he was, then Benjamin Wade would have been president wow. and nobody wanted trade unions yeah. and yeah, women's so suffrage, he, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. that stuff. Man. Russ, thank you for the dedication of helping educate us and our listeners. He sounds like a real lightning rod. Wow. Ooh, that's good. You had to look that up. You looked up other Benjamin <laughs> facts. I got through the like three I knew. I yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Well, around this time, uh, Johnson's wife, Eliza, contracts tuberculosis. She becomes an invalid, and she rarely appears in public during her husband's presidency. Therefore, the role of hostess was usually filled by their eldest child, Martha, wife of U.S. Senator from Tennessee, David Patterson. Okay, now we're going to talk a little the bit. Author? Of, what? The author? No, David it's James Patterson. Patterson. Yeah, it's James Patterson. <laughs> this, is, this is his, like, third great-grandfather. Yeah, he was real mysterious. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the Freedmen's Bureau bill. This was a big thing. So Johnson vetoes this bill in 1866. That's and, the Civil Rights Bill, right? The states' rights right one? before right before the Civil Rights Bill. Okay. There's a Freedmen's Bureau bill so that he vetoes much to the light of white Southerners and the puzzled anger of Republican legislators. So he basically believed that the radicals would now be isolated and defeated by the more moderate Republicans who had formed behind him. But he didn't understand that the moderate Republicans also wanted to see African Americans treated fairly, and this bigotry was really consistent throughout his entire life. So although strongly urged by moderates to sign the Civil Rights Act of 1866, Blaine, uh, he, he broke decisively with them by vetoing this bill on March 27th. He basically said that he didn't want the measure because it conferred citizenship on the freedmen at a time when 11 out of 36 states were unrepresented in Congress and that it discriminated in favor of African Americans and against whites. So quickly, Congress overrides his veto, which was the first time that this has been done on a major bill in American history. And so this veto, often seen as a key mistake of Johnson's presidency, convinced moderate Republicans that there was no hope at all in working with this guy. So he does not have much going for him at all at this point. This is the swing around the circle. So in the midterm elections of 1866, southern states at the time were not allowed to vote. Okay. Oh, I, I thought you had a point. <laughs> so Johnson decides this is still in a time where campaigning was not, it was starting to become a little bit more normal. Yeah. Um, Canoe and Tyler too. He becomes a vigorous campaigner undertaking a public speaking tour known as the Swing Around the Circle, which includes speeches in Chicago, St. Louis, here in Indianapolis, and Columbus, Ohio. But they were stump speeches, not debates. That's correct. correct. Okay. So that was the big difference between like him and the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Correct. And this is when he compares himself to Christ. Yeah. Uh, it proves politically disastrous for him. This is just, I mean, he's engaged with arguments from hecklers in the audience. And these were actually, later when he was impeached, these were some of the 11 charges that were put against Johnson is in his impeachment trial, that he brought disgrace to the presidency in that time when he was out campaigning in one of the uh, charges. It basically said, like, you just totally disgraced the office of the presidency. We're going to throw that in there, yeah, too. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, he was compared to Caligula's horse a lot oh by Congress and in the book. I barely know who Caligula and is, a like, Roman I've, emperor. I, like, looked at, no, yeah. yeah. So it was like an emperor or somebody yeah. that... Like named his horse like a council, okay. and like I don't understand the reference. It was brought up like multiple times in the book. Okay, and in my notes, 
like it reminded me to look it up and I did and I still don't entirely mm. get it. Apparently the this horse is depicted a lot in art throughout okay. history, but I don't entirely understand the story. Okay. There's so, a metal band also named Caligula's Horse, oh which my. is not surprising because most metal bands are not. I wonder great. why Johnson was compared to him or the yeah, horse. I don't know. He's compared I, to the horse? Yeah, maybe because like huh. Lincoln picked him. Yeah. Like he was no smarter than a horse. Here's my guess. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole of my brain. Throw it out there. He was dumb like yeah. a horse. Okay. But like stood for the right stuff. Maybe he was fast. I don't know. Okay. And so Lincoln picked him because he was like another, mm. the opposite side of the ticket to make sure that he would yeah. win the election. Yeah. He was never actually supposed to like lead anything right. or anyone. Right. That's a really interesting thing too, that like Lincoln picks technically a Democrat mm-hmm. to be his running mate. Technically. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's just actually like, a Democrat. My goodness. Like that would never happen today. <laughs> Good. Great. Can you even believe? I mean, gosh, people's heads would explode. <laughs> he picked the- who? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, what's weird too is I always wonder, like, did Lincoln really think he was going to live for four more years? I can't, I can't imagine that he did. Like, it's so odd that he didn't Mm. have that foresight. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, gosh, I mean, winning the civil war is one thing that'll drain you. Lincoln lost a child, lost two children. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a ton of one while he was in the white house. Yeah. So you're saying the one that haunts the white house, uh, Robert, right. Or Tad. I don't remember. I don't know. So you're asking, did Lincoln think that he was going to serve a full term? He, he clearly must have, because there's mm. no way he thought, yeah. oh, he'll be fine. Yeah, right. Well, the Republicans win by a landslide, increasing their two-thirds majority in Congress and made plans to control Reconstruction. After the Civil War, Secretary of State William Seward had expressed interest in acquiring Alaska from Russia. And by March 30th, 1867, Johnson's administration had secured 586,000 square miles of territory for $7.2 million in gold or $132 million in today's dollars. The property didn't seem worthwhile to political observers at the time who called it Johnson's Polar Bear Garden. Which I don't even know is geographically accurate. Or uh, I don't know that there are actually polar bears in Alaska. There might be some way up there, like around like Nome, like Ar- nor- north of the Arctic Circle. Or else I'll find out. Uh, it was also called Walrussia, like a walrus. <laughs> Walrussia, it's so it's like great. like Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Seward's Folly, Seward's Icebox. Uh, Congress delayed the transaction until Johnson failed to secure the Democratic Party nomination for president in 1868. But technically, Alaska was purchased under his watch. You know who I bet would love Alaska today? Who's that? Is that Benjamin Franklin guy. Because it's essentially like its own little socialist sphere. Yeah. Everybody just gets money for living there. It's its own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been to Alaska? No. It is unreal there and beautiful. There are polar bears in Alaska. Okay. In the winter. As the- far south as St. Lawrence Island. Occasionally, they move to St. Ellipses in the summer. Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. By the way. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, so everyone that's super angry about my Alaska is a socialist place. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I just want to clarify. <laughs> Sorry, friends in Juneau, Skagway, Because yeah. you didn't like catch the joke you were like yeah you're right and i was like ah man somebody needed to laugh at that or somebody's gonna be mad (laughs) i've been to alaska and it is gorgeous oh i would love to go i spent about four months there on a cruise ship after college just singing 
Uh, I was <laughs> singing in Alaska. Just no other context. Visiting the like, salmon farms, climbing glaciers. It's glorious. If you ever get the chance to go, <laughs> highly recommend. Without, if no one knew that you were a uh, bandless singer, then <laughs> no, I had three other guys with me. <laughs> no instruments. That's right. No uh, instruments. You used your mouth as instruments. <laughs> um, wow. And you wow. just said, yeah, I lived in Alaska for four months mm-hmm. after college on a cruise boat singing. Cruise boat. Like, people would think that you were like a, a backpack through Europe. Mm-hmm. Like They're like, oh, so dad's rich. Got it. We, <laughs> we, we might need to do a bonus episode about my time on a cruise ship. Huh. It was so fun. Might we? Might we? Yeah, we shall. <laughs> Let's jump into his impeachment because this is big. I mean, this marks really his entire presidency, uh, historically speaking. So there's this thing called the Tenure of Office Act in 1867, which was intended to limit the president's power to dismiss officials without Senate approval. He ignores this. He's basically just tempting Congress to make a move on him. He fires radical Republican ally and Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, considering it a deliberate act of defiance the house votes to impeach johnson three days later that was on- the proverbial straw that both broke yeah the camel's back. yeah um he actually asked stanton to resign which he didn't stanton stayed on and he said fine i'm gonna fire you that really ticked off congress but they- didn't he replace him with grant yes and yeah he only did that because he thought grant was a pol- potential uh presidential foe against Correct. him and he thought that grant was a quote political ignoramus mm. and but he realized like the people really like him yeah. so i should probably keep him from running right that's an interesting power move there you know to pull besides lincoln the most popular guy in in the land in the north at least and just put him in this spot just to kind of prevent him from running anyway well i mean that's what they did to uh old fuss and feathers uh, that's how Winfield they kept Scott. Him. Yeah, that's how they kept him from running. That's mm-hmm. how Taylor won. Yeah. Is because they pulled Winfield Scott out of Mexico. Mm. I mean, that's what they tried to do to William yeah. Henry Harrison. You're right. Remember, they pulled him out of but a generalship during the War of 1812? Yeah. Because I posited that if he wouldn't have been pulled out, Washington wouldn't have been burned down. Mm. Under Madison's watch. Lane Zimmerman original theory. Wow. I just, I'm thoroughly impressed. Russ, you and I just looked at each other when Blaine said posited. You know what's great Oof. is no one can prove me wrong. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, the Congress, or the House rather, uh, votes 126 to 47 for uh, impeachment, making him the first president to be impeached at the time. Let's go on a little bit of a tangent about impeachment, all right? We haven't done that yet. I know. Three United States presidents have been impeached, although none were convicted by the Senate. Besides Andrew Johnson in 1868, Blaine and Russ, who are the other two? And for bonus points, what years were they impeached? I don't know about the years. I mean, wait, there were only two? Mm -hmm. Weren't there three? Was Nixon not impeached? Mm -hmm. Nixon? Oh, well, then Clinton and... Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bill Clinton, 130 years after Johnson. I would have definitely assumed Nixon was. In 98. And Trump in 2019 and 21. Trump is the only president, we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, and the only federal office holder to be impeached twice. Nixon resigned as a result of Watergate, of course, in 74, after the House Judiciary Committee passed articles of impeachment, but before the House could vote, vote to on impeach. It. Yeah. Oh, so we're considering, okay, so official impeachment has yeah. to be once it gets voted on. So when I said earlier he was impeached three times, all three didn't go... To the House. That's correct. So okay. Nixon never just got the to the vote. Yeah. yeah, and the vo- it starts with the House, and it's just a simple majority vote, and then it goes to the Senate. So the that's trial. what it is. Mm-hmm. So they actually did have 
two votes for him Correct. that didn't go to the the House. No, sorry, the Senate. Yes. One went to the Senate. Uh-huh. The other two did not. Yes. Okay, so that's yep. what I meant by three. There we go. Yeah. That's, I knew what you were I saying. guess we, it, it is a term that gets thrown around relatively loosely, right? Yeah. I mean, that, because people assume, like, even if they talk about it, that's mm-hmm. considered an impeachment. Yeah. And, and it's not been, officially an impeachment until it gets sent to the Senate. Correct. I mean, yeah. there have been numerous calls for impeachment on presidents since, I mean, Clinton. I mean, good grief. Like, almost every president has been called on to be impeached at some point by yeah. someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the article. I'm pretty have, sure Biden's already been. Like, that whack yeah. job lady already, um, like, the day he was in. Yeah. Yeah. Calls for it. So, over 11 weeks, Johnson stood trial in front of the Senate uh, and he backtracks. He starts to compromise, which is actually one of the first times that he starts to actually be politically somewhat savvy. But he's already getting backed into a corner. So here's what was at stake in the trial. Not only the fate of a president, but the very nature of the federal government. I mean, up to that point, I mean, this is a brand new thing. Like, the country has never been to this party before. And if Congress were able to remove the president, then many Americans believe that the U.S. would be a dictatorship run by leaders of Congress. Which is weird because it's kind of the opposite of a dictatorship. It's kind of set if up. If one be branch that way. of the government right. can get rid of another branch because that branch yeah. is taking too much power, that feels like the opposite. Can we just drink for the prescience and wisdom to the, of the founding fathers? By the way, oh, I thought you were going to say to me, well, and to plane <laughs> and Russ, I would just like to drink to you. Well, I I you. You're welcome, and, and cheers to you wherever you are. Blaine, like you said, there's two votes on May 16th and 26th. Votes were taken, and Congress failed to reach the two thirds requirement to convict by one vote. When a messenger brought Johnson the news that the Senate had failed to convict him, he wept, declaring that he would devote the remainder of his life to restoring his reputation. Yeah, and he wanted to go, mm-hmm. right, like during the hearings, and they basically just like sent a runner back. Yeah. They, they had to really talk him out of going. His like, advisors, no, I'm just going to go stare at him. His advisors were like, that's probably not yeah. the best and He's idea. like, no, I'll just, I'll go. No. I'll go. I'll tell, I'll just, they'll see me, mm-hmm. and they'll change their mind. I'll scowl. Yeah. Like, just. Give me some of that whiskey. Mm-hmm. Where's Hannibal? Hannibal. Give <laughs> <laughs> me some more whiskey. He hasn't been here in three years. <laughs> I need some whiskey. Who's been giving me this whiskey? <laughs> I need a Bible and some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, he's back in Maine. <laughs> So, okay, so basically his usefulness as a leader is completely over. And during his remaining days in office, he extended his grants of amnesty to all of the former rebels. The big problem of black suffrage was addressed by Congress's passage of the 15th Amendment, which was ratified during the ensuing administration of President Grant, which forbade denial of suffrage on the basis of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. At the 1868... that worked. Gosh. Still a long way to go. At the 1868 Democratic National Convention, Johnson received a modest number of votes, but he did not actively seek renomination. Probably a good idea. So, following the drama of his impeachment, um, this is this is some side research that I found. Johnson was said to be preoccupied with a family of mice that had taken up residence in his bedroom in the White House. <laughs> okay. He left out fresh water for them (laughs) next to the fireplace, and he made sure a constant basket of flour was available for them on the floor in case they wanted to eat something. Yeah, he was like, that one's named John Calhoun. Uh, That one is uh, William Wallace. Uh, That one over there is Henry Cabot Lodge. Uh, (laughs) 
referring to the mice as his little fellows. A lonely Johnson appreciated the fact that they didn't care where he came from or whether or not he'd just been impeached. Russ is dying. Those mice were just excited because they're like, there are no cats in in the White House. Can you imagine, though, he's like... If that's all you have to look forward to in the day, it's like, what's on What's on my agenda? <laughs> so what's on my agenda? Doing? I guess I'll go feed my mice. You know what I need to do? I need to, I need to go check on my little, my little fellows. <laughs> sure, what are, you, what are you talking about? Mm, nothing. He's like, and that one's name is Atreyu, and that one's Bastion. <laughs> oh, that's Caligula's horse. <laughs> Come here, Caligula's horse. Clip, clop, clip, clop. Uh, all right, so uh, oh with gosh. that, let's take a break. <laughs> We'll be back with the legacy yes, of Andrew right. Johnson and Brian's favorite part, the little-known facts, on episode 17 of the Presequential Podcast, The Impeached. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost did a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you to our Season 2 sponsor, Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com to order delicious pizza today. So Johnson's days in office are coming to a close. On Christmas Day, 1868, he issues a final amnesty. This one basically covered everyone, including Jefferson Davis. He also issued in his final months in office pardons for crimes, including one for Dr. Samuel Mudd. Does that name ring a bell at all? No, I thought he didn't pardon Davis. He did. Huh. Okay. I, Russ, can you My notes check say it? he didn't, but I believe you. I'm, I'm, I've been wrong once before. I just want to believe each other. <laughs> and so, so, Russ, find out if he actually pardoned Jefferson Davis, could you? Samuel Mudd dragging his name through the mud? Nope. Sam, well, actually, that's how his name is Mudd uh, came to be. Um, so, Dr. Samuel Mudd uh, set... song. Yep, that's right. He set Wilkes Booth's leg... Fleeing from Washington, he had his leg set by Dr. Samuel Mudd. So he was controversially convicted of involvement in the Lincoln assassination. And he had been imprisoned in Florida in the Dry Tortugas. So Johnson says, we're going to we're going to give you amnesty. What are you laughing about? The Dry Turtles. The Dry Tortugas. That's right. March 3rd, he hosts a large public reception at the White House on his final full day in office. Now, President Grant at the time had made it known that he was unwilling to ride in the same carriage as Johnson, as was customary, and Johnson refused to go to the inauguration at all. Despite an effort by Seward to prompt a change of mind, Johnson spent the morning of March 4th finishing some last-minute business and then shortly after noon rode from the White House to the home of a friend. 
He retired in Greenville, Tennessee, and attempted to re-enter the U.S. House in 1869 and the Senate in 72, but he lost both those elections. Mostly just because he was bored. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, well, I mean, I guess I'll go back. Might as well. Yeah. They probably remember. They still like me, right? They love you. (laughs) What do you think, little fellow? Am I still there? (laughs) He definitely took those home. What do you think, dead little mice in my hand? <laughs> he started dressing him up at that point and putting him in shoeboxes. I know you different smell, scenarios, I... like that Steve Carell movie. That's or, a good movie. Is it Steve Carell? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, Russ, Doesn't look matter. up the Steve it's Carell a, movie where he has the dolls. Like Russ, do this. Russ, no. Russ. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the pushback. In 1875, Johnson runs for the Senate again, and he was elected. Huzzah! Becoming the only president ever, not just up to that time, but ever, to do so following his presidential term. Ironically, none of the senators who voted to acquit him was returned to office. On learning of his election, Johnson commented, quote, I'd rather have this information than to learn that I had been elected president of the United States. Thank God for the vindication. His comeback garnered some national attention with the St. Louis Republican newspaper calling it, quote, the most magnificent personal triumph which the history of American politics can show. At his swearing in in the Senate on March 5th, 1875, he was greeted with flowers and sworn in alongside Hannibal Hamlin, his (laughs) predecessor at VP. You want some of this? Hey. (laughs) Got a little nip. We meet again. (laughs) Many Republicans ignored Senator Andrew Johnson during his short time in the Senate, though some, such as Ohio's John Sherman, who had voted for conviction in his impeachment trial, shook his hand. He spoke only once in the short session on March 22nd, lambasting President Grant for his use of federal troops in support of Louisiana's restruction government. Soon after taking office, he suffered a series of strokes while visiting family in Carter's Station, Tennessee, and died at his daughter Mary's home on July 31st, 1875, at the age of 66. President Grant had the painful duty of announcing the death of the only surviving past president. Northern newspapers and their obituaries tended to focus on Johnson's loyalty during the war, while Southern ones paid tribute to his actions as president. His funeral was held on August 3rd, 1875 in Greenville, Tennessee. He had been a member for the Greenville Masonic Lodge and his funeral was conducted by its members. Johnson was buried with his body wrapped in an American flag and his copy of the U.S. Constitution placed under his head according to his wishes. Johnson's daughter, Margaret, willed his burial site to the U.S. government. In 1906, Congress designated the site as the Andrew Johnson National Cemetery. With his home and tailor shop, the cemetery is part of the Andrew Johnson National Historic Site, which you can visit out there in Greenville. So let's talk about his legacy, shall we? Yeah. Okay, so the problems that he and his predecessors, Pierce, Buchanan, and Lincoln, had to confront were enormous. Besides the revolution, this season was the most difficult in our nation's history. One of Johnson's biographers, Annette Gordon-Reed, writes, quote, We know the results of his failures, that his stubbornness, his mean and crude racism, his primitive understanding of the Constitution stunted his capacity for forward-thinking leadership when those qualities were so desperately needed. 
At the same time, she writes, Johnson's story has a miraculous quality to it. The poor boy who systematically rose to the heights, fell from grace, and then fought his way back to a position of honor in the country. For good or ill, only in America, as they say, could Johnson's story unfold in the way that it did, end quote. Hmm. I mean, I would say for ill. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was just not a great dude. Yeah. What about his character chafes you? Well, I mean, he was terribly racist. Uh, he, I don't know, all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he just, he seemed like a really, like, spiteful, hateful man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know that this, is, I don't know, that, and I also, I obviously don't think he would have been elected had he ever ran mm. for president. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, I mean, he always claimed to be for the the people, but right. like, I think he really is just for people like the people that he was when he was growing up. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Trefu, is that how we say his yeah. name? Trefos? Sure. Tref- Tref- Hans, who wrote Hans the book. Hans Trefus. <laughs> who wrote the book that we read for this episode, <laughs> considers Johnson's legacy to be, quote, the maintenance of white supremacy. His boost to Southern conservatives by undermining Reconstruction was his legacy to the nation, one that would trouble the country for generations to come, end quote. Many historians see him as a weak and even failed president. However, his time in office did see the Alaska Purchase, and in spite of him, the passage of both the 13th and 14th amendments of the constitution freeing enslaved people and extending rights to those who were formerly enslaved in 1926 many many years later in the case of myers versus the united states the supreme court handed down an opinion on the question of the president's power to remove officials from office that in effect vindicated the position johnson had taken declaring the tenure of office act unconstitutional yeah i mean they're cabinet positions Mm -hmm. right and like so I feel like that he he was at least like legally right. Yeah. And I feel like if they they appoint them. Why wouldn't they be able to fire? Right. Them? Right. I mean, granted, they do go through the approval process Correct. through the legislative branch. But so I guess maybe you could argue their firing should also have to go through the legislative yeah. branch. It shouldn't be that has to go through two things to mm-hmm. be approved and one person can fire them. Mm-hmm. So I could see that argument as well. I think largely it's his bungling of reconstruction, his blatant racism and bigotry, his like lack of self-awareness, I think, yeah, of just how he sees himself and how he thinks he's perceived by the public and the Congress. Yeah, there's just a big mar on his legacy, man. I mean, according we do this every episode, according to C-SPAN's presidential historian survey, Johnson sits uh, its second to last below number 14, Franklin Pierce and above number 15, Buchanan. In the end, I think, he, yeah, I think if he were in Bastion's shoes, he wouldn't have said the princess's <laughs> name and the nothingness would have taken over. Moonchild. Her name was Moonchild. If you have no idea what we're talking about, Blaine for some because Brian doesn't for some reason has decided to drop as many never-ending story references as humanly possible throughout this episode. Oh, I, I could have gotten more. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So little known facts. Yeah. The Neverending Story was directly written about <laughs> Shut <up>. Johnson. Shut <laughs> up. German guy. Russ, can you mute Blaine's <laughs> mic, please? Johnson, yeah, let's go into little known facts. I love this segment of the show, and hopefully you do too. We've heard from a lot of listeners, and thank you for all your reviews, by the way. However you're listening to this, we really do appreciate your feedback. 
on social media as well at Presequential. So Johnson was able to recite the U.S. Constitution from memory in large part. 33rd president. Uh, man, why would you do that? Uh, so FDR was 35. Mm-mm. What? He no. wasn't? No. Oh, he was 36? No. Harry Truman. Yeah. 33. Said that Johnson knew the, constata- the Constitution. Yo, duh. Could, FDR was 30. <laughs> Well, he also served no. for 180 years. FDR was 32. What am I doing? It's okay. I'm way off. You're fine. I'm not good with numbers. 33rd President Harry Truman said that Johnson knew the Constitution better than any other president. Hmm. In June 1868, he signed an eight-hour law passed by Congress that established an eight-hour workday for laborers and mechanics employed by the federal government. It's kind of a fun thing. Johnson's sons, this is a sad fact. This is not a fun fact. This is a sad fact. His sons were tragic figures. The oldest, Charles, died in 1863 after being thrown from a horse. He was serving at the time from the Middle Tennessee Union Infantry as an assistant surgeon and just got kicked off a horse and died. His next son, Robert, suffered from alcoholism and his drunken escapades led to his retirement from the 1st Tennessee Union Cavalry, after which he served as Johnson's private secretary. But he died from his alcoholism in 1869 at age 35. He probably became an alcoholic because he felt like those same kids in the orphanage from Stuart Little when they were like, no, we're going to adopt the mouse. Like, <laughs> had a call back from the little fellows. My story yeah. earlier in the episode. Wow, he dropped. He Stuart abandoned little. his children <laughs> for these mice. What was the son movie? took or, to the bottle? Was it a cartoon? I think it was an animated series in the eighties. Was it called The Littles? They lived in the in the uh, in the wall. Yeah, and they went on adventures. Russ? That's one I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch that show, Russ? You guys are old, so. <laughs> well, Russ it. is forty. How old are you? Forty-two. Who knows? Forty-two. <laughs> I'm thirty-nine. Blaine, how old are you? Thirty-five. Yeah, so you definitely didn't watch the Littles. No, no. It's a good show, though. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, my only like mouse watching was Fifo Goes West, an American Tale. <laughs> Which we also made a reference to at this episode. Were they Russian immigrant mice? I think yes. so. Yeah. Balkan, like Eastern yeah. European. Ukrainian. Yeah. yeah. That's, I actually think that it was a combination of them and Rocky that ended the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> Former Soviet rodents. Yeah. <laughs> that's so great. Oh Reagan saw it and he was like, that's mm, it. That's Wall's it. coming down. That's it. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev. We need to get more of these mice over here. Have you seen Five Old Ghost West? <laughs> okay, so we had one other son, Andrew Jr., who was a teenager during his dad's White House years. He liked to write. Hated and- those mice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm your little fellow. <laughs> Leave some flour out for me, Pop. <laughs> Uh, He tried his hand at journalism after the war, founding the Greenville Intelligencer magazine or newspaper. Uh, It failed after two years, and he died soon after age 27. So all of his sons died, Mm -hmm. which is not a fun fact at all. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's tragic. Mm -hmm. He was not a religious man, although he sometimes attended Methodist services with his wife. What? He kissed a Bible. Yeah, well, kissing a Bible and being, I don't know. It's not the same. It's not. I don't know. I don't know. He liked best the Baptist faith because of its democratic structure, but he also admired Catholic services because all Catholics had equal access to church pews regardless of their money, which is interesting. Is it true? Just outlook, I think, at the time. Oh. Yeah. In 1942, we're talking a a lot 
about movies uh, mm-hmm. this episode. Well, in 1942, there was a movie called Tennessee Johnson that was released by MGM Studios, <laughs> making sponsored him a- by George Dickel. <laughs> Waters for teardrops, Dickels for drinking. The movie shows Johnson as a visionary hero who heals the rift between North and South despite the efforts of his short-sighted foes in Congress. In a climactic scene, he delivers an impassioned speech to the senators sitting in judgment of him and warns them that failure to readmit the former Confederate states will leave America defenseless before its overseas foes. The scene is pure fiction. It never happened. Uh, and this John- was like to save face? Like he, this is they made a movie. Okay. Yeah, 1942. So you gotta think historically what's going on in the World context. War II. Yeah. So like any national, you know, visionary hero movie is probably lauded, but huh. he, he never appeared in person at his trial. So basically it's all made up. The film made five hundred and seventy thousand in the US and Canada, resulting in a loss of six hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars worldwide. So it was a bust. Nebraska became who played, a st- who played Andrew Johnson. In that uh, movie? Good question. I can look that up. Hold on, I found it. I think Drew Barrymore's like grandfather was <laughs> in it. No, no, no. He didn't play him. But I think there's a Barrymore. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Van Heflin. Van Heflin oh. was uh, Johnson, and Lionel Barrymore was his nemesis, Thaddeus Stevens. Lionel oh. Barrymore. Is that feels like it would have been a real solid Errol Flynn role, like at the bottom of his career, like just super hammered all the time. Like, do you want to play Andrew Johnson? Like, yes. Can you take your Robin Hood outfit off, please? Uh, if you're a listener in Nebraska, which I think is the Cornhusker state, mm-hmm. is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Is it? You've run several times out there, mm-hmm. right? In the marathons. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska became a state on March 1st, 1867, while Johnson was in office. And the U.S. also gained the Midway Islands in the Pacific later the same year. Oh, they become important at some point. They most certainly do in World War II. Johnson is the only president to have been a mayor, congressman, senator, governor, vice president, and president. Hmm. The only one serve in all one two three four five six seven of those roles i think cleveland came close to all though he wasn't a vice president was he a mayor i think he was yeah i think he was i think he was a a mayor he was definitely chief of police Mm -hmm. then he became governor like and it all happened in like four years who was like an alderman what what, what no johnson was oh that's right that's right yeah yeah that's okay well guys any other little known facts russ or blaine that were you able to find fun i don't have any more no no I have related facts. Oh, please. Let's bring them. So Caligula's horse, <laughs> Incitatus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incitatus. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's actually used as an, like an allegorical figure for ineptitude. So that's oh. the... The yeah. horse was inept? No, well, he was. Caligula made him a senator. So there... Right. Which we covered. Yeah, yeah, he which fed we him covered. gold, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he fed him oats in gold. <laughs> gold flake. Bob Baffert's first horse, actually. <laughs> Uh, he fed his horse gold? Gold flake mixed with oat. Wow. Naturally. In hopes of doing what? Selling his poop. Apparently. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. I mean, his stall was marble. Oh, he my. only dressed him in purple oh, robes and wanted to make him a priest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've wanted nothing more than a bonus episode on Caligula's horse hosted by Russ. (laughs) Right now. Imagine the confession. You just walk into the stall or the stable. 
They fed it peanut butter so it looked like his lips were moving. Like Mr. Ed. Is that's that, so great. That's our Caligula's Horse Minute. Oh, God. yeah, that's the Caligula's Horse Minute. <laughs> Thank you so much, Russ. Hey, you're welcome. Oh, oof. well, thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com to order some delicious pizza today. Hey, if you love this episode, please subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Share it with a friend and leave a review because that really helps us reach new listeners. And be sure to check out all of our generous sponsors. Our next episode on 18th President Ulysses S. Grant will be released on Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. In the meantime, you can follow us on all the socials at Presequential. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Also, you can get episodes early, ad-free, and you can get some bonus episodes of the podcast when you join our Patreon community. Go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Presequential. We hope you enjoyed episode 17, The Impeached on Andrew Johnson of the Presequential Podcast. We'll see you next time.